You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 15th of July. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Vince, of course, is here. He's just being quiet. And I get to take the reins for this episode because I'm the one that found this. Now, a while back we had thought, talked about uh, Thrill Bent and how they were doing their digital store and how they revamped it so that you can get everything through the subscription process at a very reasonable cost. And there was the... Android app as well as the iOS app, which is the one that I'm using. You can even do it through the online shop. And I had been looking through trying to find what I was going to dive into because I wanted a series that would go for a little while and really see what was being offered at Thrillment. So I chose the end link. Now, I talked about it a few weeks ago saying that I had started reading it and that I was quite enjoying it and was seeing some similarities to things that I had thought about as well. And I got contacted by the writer because, of course, I was having a hell of a time trying to find the writer's name on the app itself. And it's Jonathan Larson. So today we've got Jonathan with us. We're going to ask him a few questions and uh, and go over not just the endling, but some other stuff as well, because you have actually done quite a bit in your career so it was quite interesting to read a little bit about your backstory there uh so, yeah welcome uh, to the show a little bit of comics but um yes i am an old man if that's what you're trying to say <laughs> now before we tackle the endling um are you like a long time comic book reader or just yeah, new God. to it yes <laughs> um <laughs> since i was a kid i mean you know lifelong so what you're really best known for is your career in journalism. So how did something, somebody from that background get into the comic industry? Well, so um, I was a print reporter before I got into TV news. And um, the editorial cartoonist at the Brooklyn newspaper where I worked was, uh, was into comic books as well. And actually, he had been. And, and uh, I wanted to get into comics even then. This was... I don't know, early, mid-90s, around then. And I had an idea for a Creeper story for DC that he kind of fell in love with, and he painted up some pages for it. And um, then we ended up doing our own black and white book, you know, making 50 copies on the copy at the Kinko's, that kind of thing. He showed it around. We showed it around, I should say. It actually got published by this tiny little publisher, Boneyard Press. And um, on the basis of that, he got hired by Jim Shooter and went on to become J.G. Jones. Huh. So that worked out for him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we sort of fell out of touch. No big breakup or anything. Just fell out of touch. And then a few years ago, I saw he was literally living in the same town I was. I had just moved to in Jersey. So we got back in touch. And... Um, he asked. He told me he had been approached by DC to write uh, and draw a story for their then upcoming Legends of the Dark Knight Digital First series, and he wanted my thoughts on the story he was working on. I gave him my thoughts, and I also pitched a story of my own that he liked. And um, the kind folks at DC, Ben Abernathy, um, and uh, Hank Canals, uh, also liked enough to do it, and that became the second issue. 
of um, Legends of the Dark Knight. It, it, it was printed in the first issue of the print version after a thing by a guy named Damon Lindelof bumped us from the first slot. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find working for DC? Um, I, I only did a couple of stories for them. Um, it was, and it was, um, absolutely fine working with, uh, my editor, Ben Abernathy. Um, I was hoping to do more and then he left DC comics and he's at Madefire now. So, um, and, and I also thought it would be interesting to try to pursue, um, doing something of my own. I mean, Batman was the guy I was reading when I was a kid. So that was, he was always my dream project. So I felt very sort of fulfilled and gratified to, uh, to, to, uh, get a shot at writing him. Now, would I write more Batman? Do I have other Batman stories in me? Hell yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, I thought the opportunity to, to work with Mark, um, for Thrillbent was, um, really made sense for me to put my energies there. So was it you who approached him or they approached you to write for them? I mentioned JG Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I had another, I had a, actually a different idea for a series that I wanted to do. And, um, I had asked JG Jones for help with getting, hooking me up somewhere with it. Basically. Um, he sent it to Mark Wade who wrote me uh, an email filled with expletives, <laughs> cursing his head off, um, just saying, fuck you, this is such a great idea. Fuck you for thinking of it first. <laughs> it was just like, you guys can imagine what that meant to me. Um, not just as a lover of curse words, but as a huge, huge fan of Mark Wade. So um, I actually didn't think that Thrillbelt was the right place for that series, but once Mark and I were talking, um, I had this idea. I had been noodling around for the Endling as well, and then uh, I started sending him my scripts for that and saying essentially, what do you think? What do you think? And uh, at some point in there, he said, okay, we'll, we'll publish it. Stop sending these to me. <laughs> One of the things Thrillbent is best known for is their unique spin on digital comics. Did you have any difficulty producing like the enhanced digital comic style that they use? So you're referring to the way they swipe it, right? Right, with like the panel transitions and all that right. stuff. So just for people who haven't seen Thrillbent, the way it is is it's not just you swipe your way from one panel to the next. Sometimes what happens is a swipe changes the panel so it's essentially like a jump cut and you might be literally it might be the exact same panel only an eyebrow is raised or a word appears in a word balloon so it's not so just so people understand it's not quite always just here's the next panel here's the next panel i assume that's the sort of um technical innovation you were talking about yeah yeah so that was a pain in the ass (laughs) (laughs) um it was it was really cool to think about, and it was easy enough to write the first time. Um, but when I first started sending scripts to Thrillbent, it was um, very new. I'm not sure they had done more than publish um, Mark's one-off zombie story, uh, Luther, I think it was called mm-hmm. Luther. Um, so there were there was no model format 
for people to script in this way yet. And so I think what happened was they were getting scripts in lots of different formats, all of which had to be processed by the same production crew. I think Troy Petrie, who was uh, a huge asset, he was the letterer on it. I think he's doing all of Thrillbent stuff. So they didn't want to ask their production people to have to deal with seven different formats from seven different writers. So essentially, I would get them back saying, hey, can you try it this way? So I would have to go back and reformat it. And then finally, they sort of came up with a uniform format. So I found it fun and exciting and liberating as a as a storytelling technique. But in terms of the technical logistics of writing it, it only because Thrillbelt was still figuring out how to convey it, it was, it was a little bit of a pain in the butt. I shouldn't complain because it also gave me a chance to revisit some of the scripts, hopefully sure. make them a little bit better, all of that stuff. So um, it was a little bumpy getting there, and I'm sure it was a pain for my, um, my artist, Cecilia Latella, who's a, a woman in Italy um, who was doing great, great work and going above and beyond just drawing it, but also sort of being continuity cop, unofficial editor, all of that stuff. So we're going to come back to her later because we get oh, okay. we get praise for her. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, thanks. One of the Great. other one of nice the other th- yeah one of the other things with working with um, a digital production is that more often than not, if it's especially if it's only digital, you're going to be working in landscape orientation and a page's symmetry and the story's flow is highly reliant on the flow on the page and doing it in landscape is a lot more challenging. It's a lot different than a a typical page that you see in a comic book. Did you find that challenging as well? It's interesting you say that because I haven't thought about that in a while, but actually that first series I was telling you about that, that I didn't end up doing with Thrillbend and I don't know, maybe I'll revisit at some point and say to Mark, you know what, let's give it a shot. I don't know. But um, one of the things that caused me some concern was I had already envisioned some big in-your-face, what the hell am I looking at kind of scenes for that series. And I was worried. I was, I was a little worried about how that would play um, in this format. Um, but in terms of, so in terms of writing it, I, I guess I can't, I, I can't rule out the possibility that it didn't, doesn't, doesn't change the way you think about it visually, if only because it's it's just a smaller, uh, as you say, it's it's landscape, it's a different dimension. Um, well, you've got a lot less space as well when you're looking at it in terms of like panel layout. This is something right. that some of the other writers we've interviewed before have talked about that too, how you know every page has to have a point before you flip over and different things like that. And yeah. having so few panels to play with in order to do that makes it a lot more challenging. And we see that when we read different digital things where, I mean, you don't want to insult the writer, but at points you feel like saying – you need to work on the pacing for this specific medium because it's not working. You're trying to tell a story the same way you would with a full page and you can't. Yeah. I I, I don't think I'm experienced enough to fully appreciate all the nuances that you're referring to. I think I learned somewhat in the process of doing well, this. You did Hopefully a, you did a good job. I made it to the page. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. But, but complicating what you're talking about, you're not, it's not just a different format. It's It's got to work in multiple formats. It's got to work on people's laptops, their yeah. tablets, their phones. 
um, that's that there's sort of a paradox there in that you don't want you can't make big big scenes because you don't have a full comic page but at the same time you can't do you know a Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns grid because someone's got to be able to read that on their phone um, your hands are really tied behind your back it's 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 limiting in in a lot of respects and I I um I do think that probably lends now I should say I it also comes with um benefits there are also benefits to it I think I think I wrote in one of the um you know the uh collected editions are available uh, on Thrillbent and Comicsology and I wrote in one of the uh you know accompanying text pieces for for one of those about how I think the swipe technology in particular is so freaking cool. <laughs> specifically, specifically as a way to make suspense and yes. horror and mm-hmm. dread yeah. work for you. Because as long as it's is, not overworked. Say again? As long as it's not overworked. No, damn it, you've got to overwork it. <laughs> No, of course you're right. Of course you're right. To me, what's to me what's fun about it is that it it makes the reader a participant in it. Right. Every single swipe, it's it's a little more than a page turn because some of them are you know are going to be very tiny moments, and they know it's going to be very tiny moments, but they're the ones who make it happen each time. I don't know if you remember Roger. There was a sequence with a finger. Yes. Um, oh, that finger. <laughs> what? I have what nightmares about that finger. <laughs> oh, did you read it too? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh great. Okay. I'm glad I, you have nightmares. I didn't read it until recently, but yeah, once Roger told me we were doing the interview, I, of course, went through all of it. Oh, thanks. I'm, well, I'm glad you read it. What's and, your... and yeah, I, that's exactly the kind of effect I thought could not have been done in the same way in print. And I'll go you one further. Exactly what you were saying with sometimes it's just that little look. What I found, I will disagree with you in terms of overworking it because I find that when it's no, overworked. No, I was kidding. No, no, I know that. <laughs> uh, but I find that when it's overworked, you, you lose the the weight of those little nuances. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference because when you do have those, just a slight look, it would be skimmed over so easily as a, another panel on a page if it was mm-hmm. a traditional comic book. But when you're swiping through and you're seeing just that ever so slight change in his eyes or something, you're going, right. ooh, there's something there. There's something right. more there. And that I absolutely love, yeah. And I do think I wrestled to some extent with finding the right pacing. I, I worried sometimes that I went a little nuts with the um, the pseudo animation aspects of it in the beginning and maybe settle down a little bit later. That might've had something to do with the production crew saying, please stop killing us. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's very easy for me to write and then the finger moves. And, but that means they have to draw the entire thing. So Uh, let's talk about the story for a little bit. Uh, When we were discussing it before a few weeks ago, I'd made the comment that I'd have a very similar idea a while back. And it was because I'd read something about the idea that we're all part of a simulation. Whereas you took that idea and it's not us in a simulation, but we're the ones looking in at the simulation. What was your thought process that made you jump to this and get this idea? So, I'll try to keep it short. Um, 
I, um, even back in college, I was a philosophy major and I thought, I, I thought a lot about consciousness, uh, excuse me, about, um, evolution, natural selection and how those issues sort of affect the way we think about a lot of issues in philosophy and even psychology. And so I was fascinated by the idea of considering what the future of human evolution would look like beyond, ooh, we'll have a third eye. Um, I really was interested in how we would evolve as social creatures, how our instincts as social, um, communal, society-building creatures would change. And so I wanted to explore that idea in a comic book, which I promise you guys, not you, not you, Roger and Vince, but anyone listening, it's not as boring as I'm making it sound. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even get to that, really. But that was sort of the jumping off point, was to think about our morals and, and the way we interact with each other by looking at how those things will evolve in the future. And I thought time travel would make it just feel too removed. And I thought, okay, well, what if it's a simulated evolution? And that's essentially how I got there. And then, I mean, the, the series is essentially an origin story. It's the story of his, the Endling, and if everyone doesn't know yet, Endling is a term for the last individual in any species before the species goes extinct. And the Endling is in the simulation, and it's the story of why he wants to get out and what he does about it, basically. So that's where I came up with the simulation idea. Basically, I needed a super evolved human being, and that was my only way to get one. <laughs> one of the things that's really interesting to me, because it's something I've been putting a lot of thought into lately myself, is the science behind the story. Like, how much research did you put into, especially like the, all the biological stuff? Right. So, um, first of all, thank you for, for that. I appreciate that. Um, I actually had a few people, it's funny, a, a couple of people lectured me on, I think, the volatility of jet fuel or something like that. I may have gotten that wrong in one of the, <laughs> one of the issues. So my research is far from perfect. I thought if it's fuel, it blows up. Um, you need on the to other watch hand, more Mythbusters. Sorry? You need to watch more Mythbusters. <laughs> I know, and I love Adam Savage, too. Um, so, um, but as I mentioned, I was a philosophy major, and one of the things we talked about in back in school was the nature of consciousness and an example we talked about back when i was in college was that there are in the animal and in insect kingdom there are parasites that will change their host behavior for instance there are parasites that will make grasshoppers climb to the top of blades of grass they're more likely to be eaten by birds so that the parasites can then reproduce in the birds' intestines, that kind of thing. Um, so, and I was, I'm a huge, huge fan of Animal Man. Um, and I wanted to avoid having powers that sort of felt like, run like a cheetah. Um, but I also did want them to be sound in the sense that these are things that could evolve um, in the animal kingdom. So essentially, I just went looking for what are some unusual abilities, especially ones that aren't sort of structural, like like he has a big claw, um, ones that 
more dealt with behavior and things like the um, the fact that bacteria in our body outnumber our human cells ten to one. That kind of thing um, was just kind of interesting to me. So just as I do in journalism, I I did the research I felt I needed to do, only without the constraints of having to get it right the way I do in journalism. So jet fuel blows up. <laughs> um, but it's a fascinating topic, and there's there's lots of easy reading out there. Um, and I started off very, you know, very. I, I, you guys know IO9, if I'm saying right. it correctly. Yeah. Um, great website, has a lot of science stuff, and that would be my starting point for a lot of things. I would just literally just search IO9 for strange animal powers, and then I would see where that research led me. I would go to Scientific American or Psychology Today, you know, whatever it was, I would just keep going and keep going and sort of think, try to think through the implications of what someone with these sort of unexplored powers and abilities could do in our world with, with us, given our limitations and our abilities. So throughout that research, was there anything you had to change about the story, either because it didn't work or maybe you just thought of something cooler? No, I kind of did it the opposite way around. I did the research before the story, Mm -hmm. um, and I sort of kept a cheat sheet next to me of various things that the Endling could, in theory, do. And so whenever I got to a point in a story where those things were relevant, I would sort of check and say, oh, okay, here's how he would get out of that. Or here's how he would use that power. And I would just essentially pluck them from my little data file of, uh, of um, pre-cataloged <laughs> abilities. You, you labeled it. You've painted it yourself also, in a corner. You know, sorry? Say again? You've labeled it. I've painted myself in a corner. How do I get out? <laughs> Choose an ability. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But also, you know, the way the story is structured in the beginning, Mark, I think, had some concerns about um, – whether the lab scenes with Amber and Zavi were a little too talky-talky. And so this, the, I was able to use the simulation to, to, uh, to demonstrate how the Endling would use these powers in ways that were, frankly, violent, exciting, I hope, um, visually dynamic, as a counterpoint to what was going on in the lab, not just to sort of up the excitement factor, which Mark was looking for, but I think it also, I hope, this was my intention, it sort of gave some foreshadowing of, oh, this guy that Amber's messing with, he can do things that she needs to be aware of and isn't. Yeah, because of all that stuff, uh, the Endling himself is one of the creepiest characters I've read in a while. Oh, great. Thanks so much. Was it a challenge to write something just so inhuman? Uh, You know, I've been called creepy and inhuman in the past myself, so (laughs) it wasn't much of a reach. Um, no, I, I, the big challenge in writing him, I thought was, and this was something I did with Rafe Santos, if you remember that character as well, who ends up Mm -hmm. chasing Amber was, I never thought of, I never wanted it to be a clear cut case for the reader that they were either good guys or bad guys. Um, and so I tried to make sure that I... The toughest part about writing the Endling and Rafe as well was, A, not not tipping my hat to future plot twists, um, but also, B, trying to not let them slip into caricature, either good or bad. I actually liked your solution to essentially the question, who could possibly go up against this creature? And it's a copy of it, of course. And it's a 
totally badass copy of it. Was that always the plan or did that come about because you basically wrote yourself into a corner? Wait, do we need to give a spoiler alert here? Is it, do we just pass the, uh, the it's it's been out for a little bit. Spoilers are, people need to read it. Roger doesn't care about spoilers. (laughs) Um, so your question is, was that always the plan? Yeah. Yes. I believe that was always the plan. Although, I'm I'm a little fuzzy now. It's possible. I I knew the 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 bad guy you're referring to is called the primogenitor, and he undergoes something that um, an experience that I hope is seen as a kind of mind-bogglingly horrific experience. Oh yeah, that that twists the um, this person's this creature's thinking and morality in ways that we can't really imagine. Um, and it was so. I, I at first, uh, that's right. At first, I was toying with the idea that it was his son, or that there was someone else born in the sim after him. And then um, uh, now I'm going to spoil something. Then I sort of thought about the the whole Star Trek issue with the transporters. Right? What is a no, transporter right. doing? Is it? taking you apart and moving your atom somewhere else or is it taking you apart to read you so that it can build you a new one yeah. someone else somewhere else and that's essentially the dynamic at, at the heart of uh the primogenitor's origin it, it, it worked beautifully i oh great and, and if it had felt like a cheat i would have said so i <sighs> i've got no problem saying if something feels like a cheat or it's or it's forced or whatever then hey that's that's what it is but yeah this just worked in the context of the story it just worked and it worked beautifully i thought it was phenomenally done oh thanks so much it really i, I mean one of the reasons i went with it was just it felt emotionally right both as a sort of i hoped jaw-dropping reveal like oh my god oh, it was. that's it, yeah. what happened yeah. yeah but also something that played on the the development of the character of the ending and the way he thinks and sees the world. It gave me sort of an opportunity at the end there because he doesn't see it coming, which is sort of the only time we see him fail in a way. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it, it allowed for us to, to show how the way he evolved doesn't in every circumstance benefit him. So we were talking about the art earlier and the great work Cecilia Latella did. How did you find her and choose her for the project? Um, I went on to DeviantArt. (laughs) That's all it takes. (laughs) Why is that so funny? Because it sounds like a fairly easy way to get your hands on an artist. It it was not easy. I make it, yeah, it was not easy because for, okay, here's, here's, this is a good opportunity for me to talk about why I thought she was such a special artist. It was not easy for me because I knew that the protagonist of the story was going to be uh, a girl in her upper teens and she was going to have a female friend and there were going to be no costumes, no uniforms, no easy ways of distinguishing people except by them being real people. I also did not want the characters to be sexualized. So, Bravo. Well, I mean, you know, in some stories, I suppose it works and it makes sense. But in this one, I thought, especially because she, they were young, 
it didn't feel appropriate to me. And I wanted people, frankly, thinking about other things that were going on. There. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I had a twofold challenge. I, I wanted to find someone who could draw young women without sexualizing them and also who rendered faces, rendered people in such a way that without making their hair black or yellow or putting a costume on them, you could distinguish them. And I think she has a, you know, she has a very naturalistic, intuitive sense for this is what real people look like. Like we don't have that problem in real life. We see people in real life. We're not like, wait, is that, is that Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne? I can't tell because it's in black and white. You know, we don't have that problem in real life. And she's very true to the, um, it's sort of natural, like Zavi looks different from Rafe and Amber looks different from Caitlin and, and they all look different from Carrie. The, and, and, but they all look like real people that, that feel like people we would know from our lives. And I wanted them to be and feel like real people so that we would care about what happens to them. And, um, and there was a lot of very good cartooning on DeviantArt. There's a lot of good manga and all that, but it was hard to find someone who had all the attributes that I just that I found in Cecilia, and that I think she sort of um, executed better than I, you know, had even hoped for consistently, week after week after week. See, for me, when I was reading it too, what I liked is that um, these aren't unattractive people who are in there by any means, but they're not the the you know highly sexualized and also made to be perfect looking characters that you see in so many other comic books. They're regular looking people. You could run into these people on the street and I love that. So her art was really quite good. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, I'm really glad to to hear that. That, That's exactly the the kind of thinking that, that we both had going into this project, I think. And, and Jen Manley Lee, um, was our colorist. The, Paul Mounts did the first four issues. I had worked with Paul on the DC story. Um, but both of them, Paul and Jen, they just, because skin tone, as you guys realize, was a big issue. So yeah. we we worked with them and they worked with us and I think we got it right and there was a lot of nuance to that that, that really helped make uh, Cecilia's work shine and Cecilia, I think, gave a lot of um, opportunities for Jen uh, who did the lion's share, who did most of the series to, uh, to really come up with some, some neat work as well. So yeah, I was, I was, I'm very happy and grateful for what they, what they were able to do. I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah. And it was nice seeing a nice blend of, of minorities as well. It wasn't just an entirely white cast, which again, you see in so many other stories and it wasn't that it was trying to make a big deal out of that. Which, again, a lot of other ones, whenever there's a a minority or a few, they make a big deal that they're, hey, we're here. No, this was just part of the story. And, again, applaud both you and her for doing that. It it came off beautifully. Well, thank you. There's only one plot point that pivots on a character's ethnicity. But given that the sort of subtext of the entire series is about how we evolve... I gave specific thought to the fact that, well, we're not going to evolve into Aryan clones. We're going to continue melding the way we are now. And it, so I, I sort of wanted all the ingredients of our future 
present um, at the creation, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the art and the characters being very realistic, it definitely gave the series like a feeling of this could happen in our real world, which at the same time made it that much creepier because this could happen in our <laughs> real world. <laughs> well, that's I, I really did want to limit myself to technology that was not unimaginable at this point. And what the Enling wants, right, is he wants Amber to grow him a body so that he can get out of the sim and they're growing organs right now. That's a thing that happens in labs right now. So um, obviously the biggest hurdle there is the the sort of neuro duplication of um, the endlings thought patterns and his entire sort of synaptic makeup that that's obviously sort of a bridge too far where we are right now, but theoretically doesn't feel as crazy as I think it would have a generation ago. Ironically, I was seeing something on, um, it was on the daily show where you used to work. And, uh, (laughs) there was, uh, I can't remember his name, the scientist. And he was talking about mapping the human mind. And what he had said is that we are not that far away from being able to transfer our memories onto disc essentially. And so that's why, Again, all of these things I'd been reading kind of led me to my idea of what I'd been working on. So when I was reading yours and the science made sense, it was one of those, I can really get behind this because of that. And the idea of mapping the brain over, because I'd I'd been watching some phenomenal TED Talks as well about, again, growing body parts and different things like that as well. And so when you introduce that part of the uh, mapping over the brain, we're not at that part yet, but... From the context of the story where the endling is significantly more intelligent, it does make sense. It could yeah. happen. So, again, it made sense, and I, and I really dug that a lot. Well, it was helpful for me having hacked into your computer and stealing all your ideas <laughs> beforehand. So, big ups to you for that, Roger, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you for stopping by. We do appreciate it very much. Everyone, go check out the comic. It is called The Endling. It is available at Thrillbent. Now, the Thrillbent has a fantastic subscription that they do where you pay, I believe it's, what, three ninety nine a month, and you have yeah. access to all of their comics, which is a fantastic deal. You can read them on browser. You can read them on any number of tablets. You can read them on your iPhone, your iPad, you name it. It's well, well worth Android getting. Not Android yet. They're still I thought they it. had that out yet. It, I, I couldn't get it. Okay, okay. So it's not out yet. Anyways, I, I know they're working on it, though. So they are, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I suggest everybody go ahead and, and subscribe. You had mentioned as well that the collected trade paperback is going to be coming out for this when approximately? Not trade. It's digital only okay. right now. Right. Okay. But, uh, and we, we're, we're not sure, basically. I'm guessing it'll be by the end of the year. Um, but all the issues are available, as you say, right now yeah. for that one low, low cost of three ninety nine. Yeah. at least for, per month, assuming you can finish the whole thing in one month. Do you have any other plans to write anything else for them right now? Uh, at the moment, no. But um, I am talking to Paul about maybe trying to come up with another project. And uh, an artist from Throwbent reached out to me, so I'm sort of looking at what toys are sitting around in the playground at the moment. Fantastic. Okay, well, we look forward to reading more from you. And again, thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you, guys. All right, now that he's gone, 
let's talk about something that came out today. I actually, I think it came out today. I, I heard about it today. And it's as surprising to me as it is probably to you that I'm the one that's bringing up Thor. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to ignore because, yeah, it, it, the news broke at around like 11 o'clock today. Well, and it's pretty much the only thing anybody is talking about right now. Tart is the one that told me about it. Did you hear about Thor? And I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> and then she said something else, and I went, with any, oh, they announced a new Thor title. And I said, with any luck, it'll be Thor versus Deadpool. They'll both kill each other off, and that'll be the end of it. And then she sent me the link, and I read it. And then I told her to, I said, that's the first time ever I read anything about Thor and whisper out loud. Well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you explain what's going on. Well, we don't really know everything that's going on. The Marvel just came on. They were actually on The View, which makes sense of a place that you're going to announce a comic like this. Just tell us that this is what's happening. We don't know how it's happening. I'm sure it'll all play out most likely over the course of the original Sin miniseries that's going on right now. Where sometime, I don't even know if they announced like a launch date, but at some point later this year, Thor's going to be a lady. And the way they explain it is that, you know, the actual Thor, son of Odin, he's not turning into woman. He's still around. He's just proven unworthy of the title of Thor, if you will. And the next person to wield the hammer and be, you know, have all the powers of Thor is going to be a woman. Okay, now, I haven't read, obviously, nearly as many Thor comics as you have. So... I don't First think anybody's all, read nearly as yeah. many Thor comics as I have. I'm all for this in terms of adding uh, or, or changing characters to female characters. I'm all for this. I I was talking to Tart about it again because I like getting a female perspective from her too. She's an intelligent woman and she's up on comics and stuff like that too and, and, and very honest about her opinions. And she was saying too that she really likes the idea a lot regardless if, of if it's going to be quote-unquote pandering to women. She said she likes the idea because she no doubt was reading a lot of hate messages from people saying that it's only being done for that. I'm hoping that Marvel's not putting that out at all, but I would assume not. Anyways, what I found interesting when I was reading this, though, and, and this is where I have questions. I thought Thor's <laughs> his freaking name. So I didn't think Thor was the title of whoever wields the hammer. I thought that was his name. So it's, the idea that somebody else can be Thor, it's confusing to me. It, it makes it sound almost like he's, you know, he's changing into a woman. But then I read more and I was like, no. And then they're saying it's not a Lady Thor or whatever Thor, which I get that they don't want it make a huge deal, but they are making a big deal that it's a woman. Um, well, no, I think the more to that that point of thought is that so many female heroes that have been introduced over the years have just been the female analog of an existing male hero. You know, Supergirl, Batgirl. You know, they were analogs to Superman and Batman. Same thing. You know, Miss Marvel was the female sidekick to Captain Marvel. There's even been a Thor girl. So they wanted to establish this character that wasn't going to be seen as like a sidekick or like a secondary character that by calling her Thor, they're making her, you know, the primary Thor in Marvel lore. But doesn't that seem wrong to you? And I'm not saying wrong because, oh no, a woman's taken over the, no, no, no. Just from a story standpoint, I can't be the only one that thinks that doesn't make sense. 
How can she be Thor if his name is Thor? That's like saying just because you wield my walking cane, <laughs> you're now Roger, <laughs> king of awesome. <laughs> what kind of powers come with your walking cane? A handful of codeine pills that make you feel pretty. So, <laughs> like, I think it's going to be more like her, her superhero identity is Thor. Like, I'm just going to go on a limb and assume it's going to be Angela. That's the one taking over because the whole miniseries they have going on right now is, you know, retconning in that Angela is Thor's long lost sister. So I'm going to guess it's her in her day life. She'll be Angela. But when she's a superhero, she's Thor. I mean, there's a lot of story points that we just don't know at this point. OK, it just seems a little weird as all. I and, and only oh, in it's, terms it's always of, going to be awkward calling a woman Thor. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's never not going to be weird. But yeah, it just it, didn't make sense to me. And again, I'm I'm all for it. It's just this big deal that they're making that this is Thor. And I'm going, no, that's like saying this is Bob. But no, Bob is over there. Look at he's walking away. He's ashamed. He can't lift the hammer anymore. He can't. She can't be Bob. <laughs> so that's what it strikes me as. But in terms of like the idea of a new Thor and, and it's a woman, I, pff, I would love to read that. That would be the first freaking Thor book that I'm excited to read in, in a long time to see what they do with it. The most interesting thing about this whole thing is, of course, huge backlash from nerds with nothing better to do with their lives. You can't make Thor a woman. That ruins everything. And basically the response is, here's Beta Ray Bill, the time they made an alien horse into Thor. Here's a frog, the time they made frog into Thor. Like This is hardly the most ridiculous thing they've done with the character over the last 50 years. Right. Very true. Okay, let's move on to what we're reading. We're going to make this pretty fast because it is already a longer show. So I am just going to talk then about uh, Skull Kickers. Did you read the last couple? Yes, I have. I was a little worried initially with all of these doppelgangers running around (laughs) in the stories and how it would work. But it seems like Zub is reveling in the confusion. Yeah. (laughs) And... I'm all right with that. Had he been trying to take it even semi-seriously and trying to, you know, make it make sense, then it would have been like, oh, okay, this is just getting a little too confusing. But just playing willy-nilly with it and not even trying, I'm I'm behind 100%. There's even points in the story where you're like, wait a minute, which Rex is that? Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. As you're reading along, whether it's 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 the freaking dwarf or, or, or Baldy, you're like, what's going on? I don't care. <laughs> they squashed one. It's awesome. <laughs> and and the, the poor elf woman <laughs> face palming. <laughs> she just wants to get out of this mess. <laughs> so, yeah. And the and the bucket of sludge. Oh, <laughs> Only freaking Zub would do something like this, I think. <laughs> we've reached, I mean, we've even exceeded Deadpool levels of ludicrousness with the yeah, Oh, God, yeah. All right, what do you got? Uh, X-Force had another new issue come out, issue seven. You need to read, catch up and read that. <laughs> the stuff that. they're doing with the plot twists and the character development, absolutely amazing stuff. And then uh, Amazing X-Men, you still haven't uh, jumped back on that one either? Mm, I think I'm like a couple behind on that one. Right, because there was there was the one fill-in issue with like the, the baby or whatever that was weird. But then I think it was issue eight. They started in with the new proper creative team and issue nine just came out. And it's it's big superhero X-Men fun, but still have cool stuff with the characters. You know, Nightcrawler and Colossus both coming back into the fold after, you know, their time away. <laughs> 
and they're going into Canada to fight a whole bunch of Wendigos. And oh, the yes. way the way Wendigo the Wendigo works in the Marvel universe is an ancient curse. Anybody that consumes human flesh in Canada turns into a Wendigo, giant rampaging monster. And you just have I know I find it a lot funnier than you, but a whole bunch of great Canada jokes. <laughs> because this is, you know, Firestar's first foray into this sort of insanity. So she keeps asking questions and she's like, what, what's the, what's the threat here? And then they turn around and like, they're just huge rampaging and the storm's just like, this is the reason we don't come to Canada <laughs> See, <I've- laughs> and, expl- and explaining, you know, the curse and her response is Canadians eat people. <laughs> I don't mind those jokes. In fact, I think they're hysterical. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's, it's not anything rude or anything. Oh, no, no. And I could fun. deal with rude. It's when I started reading the, uh, the Justice League one when they introed the Canadian team. And the very first Aboot joke was like, <laughs> close. I'm done. I'm sorry. But when it's those kind of idiotic, moronic stereotype things... It's like no. Well, honestly, I can do that's that. something you could do with any country. That particular, you know, line of joking. So yeah, it but, it just so happens that it's Canada for this yeah. story. But when it's other like jokes like that, because you get a ton of those with Wolverine as well, and you, we see that all the time on different shows. I'll laugh. We'll all laugh. It's hysterical. Don't mind it at all. But when you're making fun of those stupid things like the other ones, it's like oh, forget it. I, I don't have patience for that anymore. Mm-hmm. Did you read uh, Rocket Raccoon? By the way. I'm waiting for my Loot Crate edition. <laughs> I thought you might. Okay. I'll be getting it probably next week. The art is awesome, of course. The art is freaking awesome. It's just beginning to end. It's so freaking cool. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you'll love it. It's, it's good. And oh, I did not think that there could be a story where I would like this stupid raccoon. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's funny it's it's light obviously it, it, he's almost like a bruce willis in this that's who i see that's the voice Makes that sense. i hear whenever he talks unfortunately you need to be hearing bradley cooper well no i hear <laughs> on paper i can hear whoever the hell i want but yeah you'll like it it was good okay that moving is, on very surprising yeah moving on to what is coming out this week no, we can't. We can't? I didn't write it down. <laughs> okay, well, off the top of my head, uh, <laughs> you know what's Divine <laughs> Issue 2, I think there's an all-new X-Men out. I'm not even editing this. I'm oh, going to leave the, the, the big thing is that we finally have the issue where Archie dies. Oh, is it? Really? Mm-hmm. That's tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Release dates. <laughs> you are now getting the inside baseball, people. Now, for the record, I was working on all of the show notes and preparing the interview and everything like that. So when I finished that and I had to take some Cody (laughs) pills for pain and I was like, okay, I'm done. I can relax now. Didn't occur to me that there was still work to be done. So let's See, I look saw the blank those. spot in the show notes. And like, you didn't say anything? Rogers, Rogers got it. You I, stupid son Rogers's of a bitch. Fine. You, He's got a, you, know, you do it on somewhere. purpose just so that I look terrible like, whenever I, I, I opened up the show notes 20 minutes before the episode started. He's probably added it in. I haven't refreshed. <laughs> That's hysterical. Okay, what's coming out? Dark Horse. We got, what do we got here? Star Wars is still going on. Have you been keeping up with any of the new Star Wars ones? No. What about the Star Wars? That was pretty interesting. I just kind of... Yeah, I lost touch with it, too. Like, yeah. It was a cool concept. I just 
didn't keep up with it. You know, there's so much stuff to read. Exactly. It was cool, but it wasn't that cool. Uh, Dynamite's got Army of Darkness. Ash gets hitched. One of four. (laughs) Okay. I'm curious what that is. (laughs) Might have to check it out. Uh, Scrolling down. IDW, what do we got? Have you been reading? Oh, dude. Borderlands. Yeah. The Fall of Firestone, number one. Okay, folks, for everybody you will remember, if you are longtime listeners, or if you not, go back and listen. I think we listen. just talked about it like three weeks ago. No, but I mean the actual episodes where we talked about the other issues and what we thought of them because they were freaking awesome. So this is going to be, I'm really looking forward to this. What's this squitter? Squid what? There's a squitter. I, I have no the, idea. The squitter. It's a horror. Freaking awesome and cover. Squitter is the best name. I don't know. A soldier from a is forgotten a war game? in a post-apocalyptic world that was left behind. Okay, I want to read this. He was one of the last of the legendary Squitter legions. Dude, I'm reading it. I'm freaking getting it. That's awesome. Okay. Concept is fine, but come on. Squitter number one of four, folks. From IDW. We love IDW. Why not? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 36. Are we going to tell them what we're doing next week? Might as well. While I'm looking through this list, you go ahead and tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since we haven't actually talked about Ninja Turtles on the podcast for a while, because Roger, what was the last one you read? Like 28? I was behind some. Shut up. (laughs) So uh, we're going to do a brief catch up and then a a little more in-depth breakdown of the current ongoing storyline because there's been some great stuff. Are you still reading Burn the Orphanage? Yes. Number three of five is coming out. Oh, Rat Queens! <laughs> Number seven. Oh, that's all. I can stop there. No, let's go to Marvel. Uh, have you been reading these 100th anniversary specials? I haven't. Okay. They, they look interesting, but... The X-Men one is coming out. And then we've got uh, Black Widow. No, those are just a reprints. I've been reading those still. Those are freaking awesome. I've been really enjoying them. Hmm. Um, did you read the Electra ones? I read the first one. Okay. It was pretty damn cool. Yeah, it was. But Number again, four. not something I'm going to really read every week. Mm-hmm. Number four is coming out for that. Uh, what else we got here? Magneto number seven. Have Great. to read that. That's freaking awesome stuff. Ms. Marvel number six. Nova number 19. That's another one that I have to get caught up on. Original Sin number six of eight. I read five, and I'm sorry, but no. Five was pretty weak. I'll give you that. <laughs> We're all weak. <laughs> Silver Surfer number four. You reading the that one at all? I didn't like the preview, so I haven't looked at it at all. I've read a couple, and I, yeah, nope, can't do it. Ultimate FF number four. That's going to be canceled, you were saying. Yeah. Um, and then we got uh, Uncanny X-Men number 23 and X-Men number 16. And then Valiant, anything from them? Unity, number nine. Harbinger, number 25. Harbinger is one of those ones I, I, I need to go back and read because the way they described the story in that, it actually seems like uh, they're doing something pretty good there. Cool. Okay. That's going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, interview with uh, Jonathan. That was fantastic. And the best new release list ever. Yeah. We're going to do it, it that was, way every week. Yeah, from now on. <laughs> uh, uh, what's going on? <laughs> I'm not editing any of that out. People need to know how stupid I am. So make sure to check out the show notes at comicbookinformer.com. And we are on Twitter at CB Informer. And we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs> oh, 
dude. Wasn't it just last week where you're saying the show notes aren't updated? And I was like, don't worry, I have faith. 